One Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Welcome everybody to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm Jessica Winderl, your host, and today I am so excited to be welcoming uh, Anne DeVesmez to the podcast. Hi, Anne. Hey, Jessica. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, as I was getting ready for this podcast, I was just kind of reflecting back and you are actually the first person outside of my husband's family that I met in Norway. Am I? I oh, think so. so. Cool. Yes. I actually yeah. remember that day when I received your email about uh, teaching a workshop at my, my studio. I remember where I was sitting. I was like, oh, this is cool. She's traveling. She's coming to teach a workshop. So yeah. it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 2012. So six years. Wow. I've been teaching in Norway and, and since you and I have known each other. So time flies. Yes. That's good times. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you um, run a studio in Trondheim, and actually it's your second studio that you've run in Trondheim. It is, it is, yeah. So you've been teaching for a while and running a yoga business for a long time. How did you get to yoga? How did I get to yoga? You know, I was thinking about that uh, when we were preparing for our, our podcast. Um, I remember, and something that I don't think about often, that my very first yoga class was actually in college in like... Uh, scared to say the numbers. <laughs> so like 95 or 96, um, we were required to have some kind of physical education credits. And I used to play volleyball. And then I got a neck injury and I couldn't be part of the team anymore. So I had to find something else. And I didn't know anything about yoga, but that was there and it was a convenient time. So I went with a friend and I have to admit that we did not take it seriously at all. <laughs> it was uh, like a Friday afternoon thing. And I really don't remember much of that. Like I couldn't even, like, I didn't know anything about yoga at the time, but now with, you know, what I know now, I couldn't even tell you what style of yoga because I really don't remember the classes. I just remember being there in this big uh, sport hall at, uh, on campus. And there were like five of us. And I feel bad now for this sport teacher because I think nobody in the class was taking it seriously. Hmm. So that was like a two month thing. And then I forgot completely about it. And then I got back into it or maybe not back, but just I got into yoga. Um, it was early 2005. I was going through a really difficult time in my life, uh, dealing with depression and a lot of yeah, painful things. And uh, I needed something to do. I knew that I, like, I just needed to get out of my house and do something. Again, I didn't know much about yoga. I had a friend who had done a little bit of it and who had told me about it. Uh, but there was a studio just down the road where I used to live. I was in the U.S. at the time in, in Columbus, Ohio. And I signed up for a beginner course. It was an eight-week course. And and I liked it. Uh, it wasn't like for me like a big revelation, like, whoa, this is the thing. It was like, okay, this is, this is good. Uh, and so I signed up for another <laughs> beginner course uh, with the same teacher and... It was still the same thing, like, okay, it feels good, but I don't see what the big hype is about it, <laughs> you know. But it was like, okay, I'll just keep going because I like it. I met really nice people. I really like the teacher. It was my very first uh, yoga teacher, Laurel Hodori. And maybe like after half a year or so, I started to go twice a week and then three times a week. And that's when things really started to, to change for me. And when I really started to be like, yeah, this is it. <laughs> this, this is my thing. So, but yeah, so that was 2005 um, that I started practicing. So I just kept going, like, I mean, 
the whole time I was living in Columbus, I was probably at the yoga studio at least four times a week, if not more. I was signing up for all kind of workshops at the studio and, and I really loved it. It was really just changed a lot for me. Um, and my teacher at the time kept telling me, uh, you should do a, t- a teacher training. And I was like, no way, I'm not a teacher. I, I will never ever teach, whether it's yoga or physics or anything, like I am not a teacher. So, but she persisted like for three years. She was like, you should do a teacher training. I was like, no. Um, and then I moved to Norway in 2008. Uh, I found a studio here to practice. So I will continue with my practice as a student. And, and then one of those things happened, which is like, a, you know, a blessing in disguise. Uh, I had a, re- a really good job on paper when I moved to Norway, but I hated it. And it, it, I was just really unhappy with it. And after a little over a year of that, I was like, okay, I can't keep doing that. And I had no idea what else to do, but I was like, I'm just going to quit that and, you know, hope for the best pretty much. So I ended up with extra time and money. I was really in a really privileged position at the time. So I had time and money and I was like, well, maybe I'll do a teacher training. But at the time it wasn't with the idea, when I signed up at least, it wasn't with the idea of teaching. It was more like, I want to learn more. So let's do that. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> and very quickly, I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to teach yoga. But it was interesting for me to, to reflect on that and realize that when I signed up, I didn't want to teach because I was still saying like, I'm not a teacher. Mm-hmm. So it was the process of the teacher training uh, that kind of, I don't know, many realize shifted that something. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so I've been teaching full time since that was 2010. I did my first teacher training it was a 200 hour uh, training and I've been teaching full time since then. The The funny thing, though, is before I even signed up for the teacher training, that was like at least a year before that. I remember talking with my very first friends here in, in Tondheim about what am I want to do. You know, they knew I didn't like my job. I was like, yeah, maybe one day I'll open a yoga studio. But I, was, I wasn't thinking about, you know, as a teacher, I was thinking about the management and the business part of it. Like, maybe I'll do that one day. So that came first hmm. uh, before I even became a teacher. So it's, it's weird how things, you know, we put those thoughts out there, out there and then things happen somehow. Yeah. yeah, I know. Well, I mean, I know for myself... Um, I never thought I'd be a yoga teacher. <laughs> it was it was the same thing. Like I just I fell in love with the practice so hard and so quickly. And you know I've I've heard a lot of teachers talk about that. You know remembering what the practice was like when we were a new student. Yeah. And you're just you're so thirsty for more. And you go yeah like you said you started going twice a week and then three times a week and then four times a week. Yeah. <laughs> and I know for myself. I mean there were a few years there where I did trainings back to back to back. Every weekend I was in a workshop with a different teacher at a different studio. And, you know, I just, I was doing everything I could to learn. And again, just not thinking I would ever teach, but just because I wanted to know more. It was changing my life in such remarkable ways and changing my relationship to myself. Yeah, absolutely. In ways I'd never considered before. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it came as a big surprise to me when I started teaching. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's, to me, it was more like when I, before I thought about becoming a teacher, I was really like, I want to be able to do more of that. And and I think the only way I, I found out how to do that was to do a teacher training, to learn more. 
And then I had maybe this romantic idea when I decided to become a teacher. I was like, well, I want more yoga in my life. So if I'm a teacher, then it becomes my job so that I can justify going on yoga vacation or like, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Reality is very different. And we can get to that in a moment. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Uh, but I think... And maybe there are many people who also join a teacher training with that idea, like, I don't want to teach, but I want to learn more. Yeah. Uh, and, and make that a bigger part of my life because because it is life-changing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's what I see with the Atman Yoga School is, you know, a fair amount of people who do teacher training never think they're going to teach. And a lot of them end yeah. up not teaching. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's not like the training is a waste. It's actually um, more just for the self-development Side yeah, of absolutely. Things. Yeah. I don't think any training is a waste. You always learn something. Even sometimes bad trainings are a good thing because you learn what you don't like or what you don't agree with. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, we talk about this in training too, where it's, first of all, we don't know what we don't know. So mm-hmm. if it is a bad training or a bad workshop, um, you know, I always believe that every teacher has an intention that is good. They want to be of service. They want to help people, but maybe they just weren't trained properly, or mm-hmm. maybe their scope of information is is just too limited. Uh, and the second thing is, I mean, unfortunately, I do think there are <laughs> bad, <laughs> bad. There's bad yoga out there, and there's... you and I have seen it both. Yeah. And it's it's unfortunate, but again, I, I think it always comes back to the intention. Like I don't think any teachers intentionally trying to teach the wrong information or, you know, hurt people. Well, with what's going on in the yoga community these days, you wonder sometimes, but that's let, true. That's let's true. Not you make go a good there, point. You know. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's, most teachers do have a good intention. Absolutely. And it's, uh, yeah, we have to believe that. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of practicing yoga? If you can't see, it's not to sound cliche and see like the good and everything because that that's not what it's about. But we have to believe that people mean well mm-hmm. and they do the best they can. We have to believe people do the best they can with what they have. Yes. Uh, otherwise, you know, why would we even interact with people? Right. Well, and I mean that is the practice of yoga too. It's mm-hmm. it's that compassion aspect of mm-hmm. understanding and seeing that you know when we peel back these layers, ultimately, we're all the same. We have the same hopes and dreams and fears. And, you know, when we think about it in the context of teaching yoga, it's the same thing. Like every teacher at some point is nervous when they're teaching or they're, you know, worried they're getting judged or, you know, do people like, are they enjoying the class? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or maybe even more commonly is like, at least as my experience, the more I learn, the more I feel I don't know much. Mm. Almost like I don't know enough. Like, who am I to teach? Like, I know nothing. Yeah. And I think many teachers go through that as well to realize um, there is so much. Yeah. So much to learn and to explore. And and there's so much depth to the practice and the teachings of yoga. I mean, I know that in this lifetime, we can only barely scratch the surface of that. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's great. That's that's better than not doing it. But it's... uh, it's both inspiring and humbling at the same time, I think, when you start doing more training or, or even just reading more books or meeting more teachers or to see how much there is to learn, how little we know, how little we can learn this lifetime. Mm, yeah. Uh, but that's also why it's inspiring because 
it never ends. Like it never gets boring. There is always more. I know. <laughs> There's always more. And yeah. it's, you know, they call that the imposter syndrome when we are in that mind frame of who am I to be teaching? Yeah. But I, I didn't know that term. Yeah. But I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there with this idea that there's so much to learn and this practice is so vast that, you know, for myself anyways, I try and make it as accessible as possible with my, my own practice, my personal practice. So yeah. rather than starting at the top being like, okay, I must learn everything. Mm-hmm. It's just baby steps. Like, okay, well, what am I really drawn to within the practice? Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. for me, it's the philosophy and the Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I've been practicing, I don't know for how long, I've been teaching for a decade and I still can't do handstand. And, you know, it's like, well, Jessica, look at your practice. I'm not spending any time practicing handstand. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen by itself. No, know. it's not. <laughs> and, you know, but it, I mean, it's, it's great that you bring up this handstand thing because I think very often nowadays in what we call modern yoga, you know, handstand is not the answer to our problems, I think. And I, I see so many people getting so caught up in like, you know, I have to sit in Lotus and I have to be able to do a handstand. It's almost like a, a measure of how advanced you are in your practice, whether you can do handstand or not. And I think that's so the opposite of what your guys teaching us, at least the way I, I understand it and the way, the way I see it. And people get so caught up in that. Like I have to do a handstand. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I I can't stand on my hands in the middle of the room, but I practice because I'm having fun with it. Yes. I don't know if I will ever be able to do it or not, but it doesn't matter too much. I mean, I get a little caught up in it sometimes, but I realize, okay, this is not the point. Like, just do it because the process is fun. And I often tell my students that is, you know, once you can stand on your hands, it's like big deal. Then it's boring. Then you move on to the next thing because what is interesting is not being able to do the pose. It's everything that is happening on the way to the pose. Yes. Yeah, that's so true. And it's, yeah, I mean, there's so much in when we talk about the modern postural yoga era that we're in mm-hmm. and how so much emphasis is on the asana. And, <laughs> you know, I chuckle sometimes. I mean, so I can do a forearm stand and I love that. And it's just like you said, I do it because it's fun. It's playful. It's exciting to see what our bodies can do, but it's, that's it. That's all there is. But so much emphasis now is being put on the shapes we make with our body. And it's become, I mean, always was gymnastics, but now it's really Mm -hmm. become gymnastics and acrobatics. And it's a little discouraging to see things happen in the community, such as, you know, teaching via Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. and then a, a teacher, I use that term loosely in quotations, then the teacher on Instagram is like self-taught yogi. I'm like, okay, yeah. you're a self-taught yogi and yet you're using a picture mm-hmm. to try and instruct others how to make a shape with their body. And to me, that's just so reckless and dangerous. And, um, you know, we're seeing that left and right. And then somebody's yeah. like, oh my God, I remember when I was a beginner at yoga six months ago. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're doing this crazy, you know, handstand split backbend variation. And it's like, st- you know, they're trying to give this like encouragement, stick with it. You too can progress in your practice. It's like, well, yeah. that's sort of a dangerous, yeah. you know, it's seen like all the, the pictures of overstretching. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. I know. I <laughs> and know. I completely agree with you. But I think, I mean, there are two things here, really. One is those pictures sell. Yes. And it has become a commercial thing. Yes. So, you know, 
yeah, putting a picture or, or, you know, promoting yoga as you're going to be able to do all those crazy things with your body, that's a lot sexier than, well, go and sit in a cave for 10 hours and see what happens, you know, yeah. it sells. <laughs> and, but the other thing also, I think, is maybe the definition or the real meaning of what yoga is has gotten lost somewhere there. And when somebody calls themselves like a self-taught yogi, what is a yogi? What, what does it mean to be a yogi? And, and I think we're using that term a little bit loosely now. We call a lot of things yoga that are not yoga anymore. Maybe the, the physical shapes are yoga poses, but the intention behind it is not yogic. Yes. Um, and that's where I sometimes get a little discouraged in a way. It's like, is this really where we're going with that? Yeah. You know? Mm. Yeah. I know. And it's interesting to observe just how quickly, you know, with social media, how quickly the pendulum has swung to this extreme uh, space Yeah. in terms mm -hmm. of what we are calling yoga yeah. these days. But I did hear a teacher, and I can't remember who it was. It was a few years ago. And she was talking about how, well, and this actually leads right into your area of expertise a little bit more, <laughs> but how you know, the, the pendulum, if it swings one way, it must come back the other way. Yeah. It has to. <laughs> it has to. Hopefully, it has hopefully to. it's settled in a good place in, in the middle at some point, too. Yeah. So that's what my, you know, optimism underlying all of this sort of discouragement in, in the direction the industry's mm -hmm. taken is, all right, we just have to be patient and we just have to wait for yeah. it to swing back the other way and for people to kind of understand more of what the practice is about and the practice is not about the external. Those are the external practices, limbs one, two, three, maybe even four, are about you know, the external experience. And then we get to the meat of the practice, which is the more internal, introspective, self-reflective areas, the other limbs of yoga. Yeah, which is scary for a lot of people, which is less you know, attractive because you can take a picture of it. So I think there's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's harder. I mean, that's why you do the hard work. Like yoga is not, or meditation for that matter, it's it's not just fun and, you know, rainbows and unicorns. It's right. hard work. You have to be willing to go there. Otherwise, otherwise, just go and do gymnastics, I guess. Yeah. Um, go take a Zumba class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But at the same time, you know, like to go back to what we're saying about trying to see the good uh, in things, um, maybe we're at a time where, Okay, a lot of the real meaning of what yoga is, in, in my opinion, is getting lost in many places. But at the same time, more and more people are being exposed. And I want to believe that even if it's kind of a diluted version of it, maybe it's better than nothing. And that with more and more people being exposed, hopefully um, a larger number of those people are going to go and dig deeper. And, and that in the end, it will make the world a better place so that maybe the starting point is not uh, authentic, maybe, mm -hmm. I don't know, but that it's a starting point and it's better than nothing. I don't know. It's maybe it's just me trying to make myself feel better. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. And it's, um, you know, I've heard that argument a lot that, okay, well, if, 
if the barrier to entry is low, it's, you know, you come to asana because you're trying to heal an injury or um, you want to look sexy in your swimsuit, <laughs> which unfortunately <laughs> is why a lot of people, you know, start with the asana, at least in the States, yeah. they want to look good in their body. Yeah. And while I don't think that's wrong, I think it's a dangerous message to confuse that with yoga. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so I, I understand when people are like, oh, well, at least we're getting them in the practice. And then, you know, like you said, then maybe hopefully they'll start digging a little deeper. Um, I agree, but I also am like, gosh, I don't, I don't know where I stand on that. It's yeah, I I can only share my own experience with that. We I used to teach uh, at a gym, and I was really lucky that uh, my manager trusted me. Because very often in the gym, you kind of get a script. You are supposed to teach something that somebody decided is, you know, not everywhere, but in many places. Um, my manager was uh, understood yoga really well. And she kind of like, well, you know, you're the teacher. You do what you think is right. Uh, what I noticed is a lot of people coming to classes, they didn't really care about yoga. They wanted something. They knew that they would, you know, get some good stretching uh, maybe the class worked well with their schedule, so they just came. They didn't really care about yoga. They just wanted to do something. And what I've noticed is that those people, when they came regularly, many of them eventually, and you could tell at the beginning, they are just there for the physical aspect of it. Eventually, when they stayed with it, they are the people who started to ask questions because they wanted to know, to know more and who got into the maybe the non-gym version of yoga, who started to ask you know, more spiritual questions. And so so it works for some people to start there. And then, the you know, yoga will do to you what you need to receive at that time. That's true. I do agree with that. And, and that, you know, it, when you're ready to receive deeper teaching, teachings, you will know and you will go and seek for the, seek those teachings, maybe find a new teacher or, or a different place. So it, it works for some people to start with, you know, I want to look better in my bikini. And then it's like, oh, wait a second. Who am I? What is the meaning of life? You know? <laughs> Just <laughs> so those casual questions. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, and you know, maybe, maybe my interpretation of the whole situation is just you know, coming from the US where yoga is a huge commercial commodity and there's a studio on every corner and everyone and their mom is a yoga teacher literally. And it, you know, living in the States, I was really, you know, again, I'm just going to use the word disappointed by some of the things I saw happening in the yoga community, both Mm -hmm. locally and across the country and how, because yoga is such, it is a spiritual practice at its root. And now it's become fitness. Mm -hmm. And so some of the, the spiritual teachings are falling by the wayside because you know, people aren't interested or it is too hard. Like you were saying, I mean, it requires courage to be willing to do this kind of work. Yeah. But, you know, I saw just really disgusting things happening within the yoga community. People, you know, lying and cheating and stealing and not paying instructors or, um, you know, having people work for free. And I saw a lot of misinformation being taught in the yoga community as well, where people were kind of just like making it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I've seen that too. I've seen the the bad side of running a business as well, uh, as you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's terrifying, and 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 it is, you know, I 
I might use a stronger word than just disappointed. In a way, it is disgusting that um, people hide behind this whole, you know, oh, I'm a yogi and yeah. we love each other and all of that. And then they stab you in the back behind. It's, I think it's even worse in a way compared to other, uh, not that it's ever justified, but I think there are other um, fields where maybe it's a little bit more expected or which is sad, you know, mm-hmm. but that you kind of like, yeah, people are maybe not going to be completely honest and, and, you know, but in the yoga world where, you know, the basis is, is ahimsa, yeah. <laughs> you know, non-violence, non-harming and, and, and the presence of kindness and compassion. And then people hide behind that. And so it's even worse, I think, that those things are happening in the yoga community. Yeah, well, it's just, it's really surprising because you don't expect it in the yoga community. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that's why you have to ask yourself, you know, what we're saying earlier, what, what is it to be a yogi? And I think, or practice yoga. And I think a lot of people, you know, say they practice yoga, but it's a very loose. uh, (laughs) They practice it on Monday and Wednesday nights from seven to eight. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, when I'm I'm on that, I'll be careful. But then the rest of the time I will just ask, act like a, like a bad person. And that's not practicing yoga because, you know, if you want to practice yoga, it's, it's, it's a 24 hour a day thing. Yeah, no, it really is. You know, and I'm thinking about, you know, maybe people listening to this podcast are like, wow, you guys are being really negative. And yet, you're both full-time yoga teachers so it's it's ironic you know but I also don't want to sugarcoat what my experience has been Mm -hmm. because I think it's really important to the to the yoga teachers coming up to keep Mm -hmm. their eyes open and to stand in integrity and fight for what's right if they don't think a business situation within the yoga world is appropriate and you know we talk about that a lot in the the business of yoga section in my teacher trainings but you know, the irony, of course, is, yeah, you and I teach full time, and we love it. And there's nothing else we would rather be doing. And it is our calling to not just teach the principles of yoga, but to live them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, this is is a spiritual practice. And it's the most important thing in my life. Yeah, because but I mean, that's the thing, like, how, how can we teach if you're not practicing it? Yeah, and that's the thing. And I think that's the problem in many places where People teach and behave like a yoga teacher when they are in their class and then they step, you know, out of the room and then it's a completely different world. Yeah. And that's that's the problem. And and I mean you're right, we sound quite negative for being, you know, passionate full time yoga teachers, but <laughs> I think also it's because we've been doing it full time for quite a long time that we've seen a lot. Yeah. And we've been I mean I've also been exposed to fantastic experiences and I've met amazing business people and you know, that there's a whole side of it as well. It's not just bad. Right. But we've been exposed to it because we've been in there for quite some time. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I, too, I've worked with some really amazing people. And, um, you know, that's why for me, when I started the Atman Yoga School, it was really because I, I wanted to create a company that allowed me to work with people who I thought were standing in integrity. Yeah, and that's much, much why I opened the yoga studio as well. Yeah, yeah, to give us more control over the people yeah. that we did business with. Exactly. So yeah. that we if could you... still still be teaching yoga, but not be forced into a situation where, you know, we had to work with somebody we didn't want to. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we don't compromise what we believe in. Um, yeah, it's like if you don't find the place where you want to work, basically create it. And then, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, but yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Yeah, it's, you know, but all, again, what all this comes down to, too, is just it's all an opportunity for self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Always. And the, the mirrors that are being held up to us. as uncomfortable as that might be you know and it's like what you said at the beginning too talking about um uh if you don't find what you want then you go somewhere else yeah yeah I think it's uh you know in a way when I look at the big decisions I made in my life or the all the big changes that I have created they very often came from a place like, I don't want to be where I am right now anymore. This hurts. This is not a good place. And I don't know what's next, but I know I don't want to be there. And I think a lot of people stay in places that are painful because they don't know where they want to go. And I probably wasn't aware of that as I was going through those changes. But looking back and with what I know now, I think my approach was more I don't need to know where I'm going to go to know that I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. And I, I don't need to know what, you know, where I'm going to go to actually take a step out of that situation. And in a way, the, the big decision that I've made in my life were kind of not like a very deliberate, proactive thing, like this is what I want to do. It's more like, I don't want to do that other thing anymore. Yeah. And I'm going to stop that. And then there is this space that opens up and it's like, okay, what am I going to do with that space? So Well, and it also, I mean, that shifts the responsibility onto ourselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. that's really scary too. You know, it's very easy to stay in the box and do sort of, you know, what society says to do. Okay, you go mm-hmm. to school, you get a job, you start a family. And for those of us who are drawn to, to the inquiry, to the spiritual practice, sometimes that doesn't fit. Yep. And like you said, we might not know exactly what it is that is going to fit, but we have to be brave enough to sort of take that step into the unknown. And that requires a level of trust, a huge amount of bravery and courage. But also then now we can't blame somebody else if things don't work out the way we hope they will. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, that didn't work. Um, I'm going to, instead of going left, I'm going to go right. Instead of going up, I'm going to go down. And that- But I think that's, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to say that also then plays into karma. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yes. But I think that's why a lot of people don't make those changes, because it's easier to not take responsibility for it. Then you can blame somebody else or be like, okay, my life is, I just have a bad life, you know, uh, and it's everybody else's fault. And in a way, I think a lot of people crave the power to change their lives, but they don't want the responsibility that comes with it. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. It's both. (laughs) Yeah, it's totally both. And, you know, so many people, it's so much easier, even when you're uncomfortable or even in pain, mm-hmm. at least you know you can define what that pain is from. Like, oh, I hate yeah. my job. My boss is a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no responsibility. Just, okay, somebody else is making me feel this way. Yeah. Whereas if you take the step into the unknown mm-hmm. and you're uncomfortable, of course, but it's like, okay, wow, well, I chose this. And I'm going to yeah. persevere. I'm going to stay the course. Uh, but it's, you know, you're out, you're out on your own there. Yeah. But it's empowering, though, because, you know, 
once you take that first step and you're like, okay, I, I can get out of a bad situation. In a way, like I've, I've, I've had several episodes of like really terrifying and painful times in my life. And I got through it and I got out of it and I got better and I, I'm a better person now for going through that. And I think when you when you hit rock bottom when you hit rock bottom once and you get out of it, you become less scared of doing it again. Yes. Because like, you know, even if you make a decision and things just go really, really bad, you know you've done it once and you got out of it and then you can do it again and it's, it's empowering. Um, so you become less scared of taking risks, I think. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And it's just like anything else. I think it's a skill learning yeah. how to be brave and take risks. And at the end of the day, it's strengthening your relationship to yourself. Yes. Which is absolutely. the most important relationship of yeah. all. And, you know, but it is definitely easier to stay in that which we can define, even if it's painful, yeah. rather than move into a space that's unknown and undefinable. Yeah. You know, so I get well, it. it. I mean, yeah. It takes more energy to change something than the energy that you have to expand just to deal with a bad situation. So that's why a lot of people stay, you know, we, we are lazy. We want to do as little work as possible as, yeah. a human, uh, as human beings. And so if, if something takes more energy than another option, we're going to choose that option that is like, like right now seems easier. In the long run, I don't think it is easier, but, you know, uh, but at the same time, like, I don't want to, to sound, I mean, I'm not judging people who stay in a bad situation. Like, I, I again, I, I believe they do the best they can with what they have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but when you see people, like, to take your example of, uh, I hate my job, uh, my boss is a jerk. Uh, very often, like, the, the people that I've met like that, they've had 10 jobs and 10 bosses who are jerks. <laughs> and, you know, and then you start, you know, back to karma, or, uh, you start wondering, like, why do those people always end up in those situations? I think in a way, it's we, we create it. We, we, want, we, we have to learn something, and we're going to put ourselves in that situation to learn it until we've learned it. Yes, absolutely. It's like why we, I mean, any pattern or behavior in, your, in our life that we repeat over and over and over, it's because we haven't learned the lesson. Yeah, but that that means we have to take responsibility for it. And people who are going to say, "Well, it's the world's fault," they will never learn the lesson. They will just end up recreating that pattern again and again and again. And it's it's sad. Yeah, it is. But it's also you know, it, we each are on our own path. And yes. you know, at the end of the day, I always think about two sayings. One of them is "Keep your side of the street clean," mm -hmm. and I love that because, like, oh yeah. It's just yeah. a reminder, don't worry about what other people are doing. You've yeah. got enough to focus on just with yourself. Um, and then the other one, I just totally spaced <laughs> on it. Uh, Back. Yeah. No, it's also not, you know, we don't know what other people are going through. So yeah, it's don't. easy from, you know, our perspective, like, oh, he should do that. She shouldn't do that. We don't know what's going on for them. And we can't, yeah, we're not in their shoes. Hey, yogi, are you ready to deepen your yoga practice and gain the tools to confidently teach a yoga class? Join the Atman Yoga School for one of their next teacher trainings in Norway with 200 and 340 hour programs and weekend immersions offered around the country. 
These trainings offer an inclusive, warm and supportive community and are designed to serve the needs of the modern yogi while honoring the ancient wisdom of yoga and Ayurveda. Check out their website today for more information on the upcoming trainings at atmanyogaschool.com. That is atman, A-T-M-A-N, yogaschool, in one word, dot com, atmanyogaschool.com. Join the tribe today. Yeah. Oh, I just remembered yeah. what it was. This is the best one of all. Be the change that you wish to see in the world. Yes, absolutely. You know, absolutely. like when when we go through and, you know, the earlier part of our conversation that had sort of a negative turn, I think yeah. I want to be very clear. We were talking about the business end of yoga. Yes. Not the teachings of yoga. No, absolutely not. Because yes. I think you and I both agree that within the teachings of yoga, it is all positive. Yes. Our experiences anyways. Yes. Um, not always easy, but absolutely positive. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're talking about be the change. Again, it's, first of all, that's responsibility on ourselves. It's like, oh, shoot, now we are being held accountable to living our yoga and to actually, you know, walking the talk. Yeah. Even when that, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, especially when it's hard. But that's, now that I have started on that path, I just don't see another way to do it. Yes. Oh, I totally agree. Okay, well, some days it works better than others, you know, but there is no way back once you realize that that there is another way to live your life than just this zombie-like, blaming the world kind of person. Yeah. Uh It's once that door has been opened, we can't close it. Nope. We know too much. (laughs) And at the same time, we know so little. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's the the really funny part about it. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, one thing I want to I chat with you about, because you're so uniquely positioned, um, both from your academic background and your experiences as a yoga teacher. And I think it's really inspiring and super cool. But, you know, you. for your academic background, you have a PhD in nuclear physics. <laughs> I do. Yes, I do. It seems like a lifetime away. But yeah, no, but-, but I mean, it's so cool, you know, and, and when you teach with me in the Atman Yoga School and we talk about um, vibration and energy, you know, I always defer to you because you have like, you know, you have the science to back it up. <laughs> yeah, I do. And can you just talk for a minute about the intersection between physics or science and yoga and what your experiences have been? Yeah, it's... Um... You know, I, I often think about it because it seems like two opposite worlds. Um, and and I know a lot of people were surprised when I, like people close to me were surprised when they're like, you know, I'm, I'm done with doing research in physics. And I didn't become a yoga teacher right away. I had other jobs in between, but I, I started to make that transition. Uh, my mom to this day still tells me once in a while, like, what was the point of getting a a PhD in physics if you're teaching yoga now. <laughs> so um, the interesting thing though is and I have experienced that many times, people who don't know that I have a scientific background and know me only as a yoga teacher. Um, and they know me maybe for a while and then eventually they find out that I have a scientific background and I notice that the way they look at me changes. It's almost oh. like they respect me more. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I was puzzled by that a little bit, but I think it's because there are so many people who are a little skeptical about yoga and spirituality 
or they think, you know, it's like this uh, hoo new age, weird witch thing. When this, they meet somebody who, ha- who, who is a scientific, I mean, that's, that's still part of who I am, and yet teaches yoga, they might feel safer in a way. That, that it's not just like this crazy new age spiritual cult thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, again, so, it, it comes back to that idea. It's something they can define. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, you I have know, a PhD. Oh, you studied science. Okay, got it. Yeah, I think a lot of people have a, a respect or maybe a stronger belief in science than in spirituality. And so in a way, I feel that it, it helps me as a yoga teacher to have that. That it's almost like, oh, this is going to sound weird, but like people take me a little more seriously in mm-hmm. a way because of that background. Um, and then there's a question like, you know, that it might seem like it has absolutely nothing to do with each other. Uh, but when you take a, a big step back and look at it, uh, you know, what, especially the field I was working uh, in when I was doing research in nuclear physics, we were studying the, the conditions of nuclear matter just after the Big Bang, trying to understand uh, how that happened and, and possibly what happened before, how the universe is going to evolve. So trying to understand that. So it's, you know, behind the, the very scientific physical side of it, it's the question is understanding, understanding the meaning of life yeah. in a way and, and, and hopefully make life better by understanding it and what happened before the Big Bang and where is the universe going? This is all you know, what's the meaning of life? And isn't that what we're trying to understand with yoga? Yes. Or at least explore with yoga. So in a way, it's asking the same question and looking for the answer from different sides, for, uh, following different paths to get to the answer. Mm. Yeah, just using a different metric system. Yeah, exactly, D- using different methods. But it is, you know, both the, the research I was doing and the practice of yoga is it's about understanding the origin of life and and the meaning of life so it it is the same thing for me in Mm. a way uh the other side of it for me is i was uh doing experimental physics and in a way i often look at my practice as an experiment yeah uh i i like to to question things and be like just no, in, in a very down-to-earth, concrete way, trying to understand how my body moves and why can I do that pose? Why can't I move my hip that way? So I have a very experimental approach to that, trying to understand uh, how my own body works. And in a way, it's the same thing as doing, you know, experiments in physics. The system is the systems are much more complex when you're doing. Uh, particle physics experiments than just your own body you need a lot more equipment (laughs) yeah you know but it's the same approach it's like you either encounter something that you don't understand or something you're curious about and then you play with it okay i can't externally rotate my hip in that position why and then you start playing and what happens if i flex my hip first does that help why do i feel a stretch there why do i feel limited there and you just ask the questions and experiment in your own body trying to find the answer. And then, you know, you find an answer, but you also find new questions. <laughs> and it's the same thing in experimental physics. 
you start with a hypothesis and it's like, okay, maybe this is how it works. Let's devise an experiment that is going to help us answer that question. And, and often along the way, you discover other things that were not part of your theory or were not part of your hypothesis. And it's like, okay, this thing is happening. Why? And how is that connected with what I was looking for? So to me, it's the same experimental approach. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that applies to meditation as well. Uh, trying to understand how, so in a way, maybe I have a quite scientific approach to my practice. <laughs> uh, not always, but but I just have that that scientific curse mind trying to understand how things work. Yeah. Are you still friends with um, any of your physics buddies from school or from any of your jobs? I am actually yes, I am. Do you guys uh, get into these deep conversations about? yoga and physics and the world sadly i don't meet them often enough yeah uh or at least since i have become a full-time teacher i haven't met them often enough to really have those discussions uh but now that you say that i definitely want to talk to them more (laughs) yeah well i'm just curious if if any of them like if they agree they're like oh yeah and i totally understand where you're going with this yoga thing or if any of them are like nope still sticking with the science yeah, no, I, no they, like, the few discussions I've had, they are more, uh, a lot more open and, and understanding. Uh, or kind of they see my, my position that I haven't just, you know, uh, I'm not denying science in, or, or refusing to believe in science anymore. It is still a very strong part of me. And they, they don't see it as a dichotomy where, you know, yoga and, and science can't coexist. Mm-hmm. They, they see that point. So, but I, yeah, I would love to spend more time with them having deeper discussions uh, about that. Well, it's just, it's so cool because there's so much we don't know, both on the scientific end and, of course, on the spiritual end. And again, kind of like we were saying at the beginning, you know, there's so many areas to study. Yeah. Just Mm -hmm. this canvas called life. Mm -hmm. And I just, I can't even imagine having the knowledge that you have from the scientific level and then incorporating that into all the things we're taught in yoga and philosophy and from the sacred texts and it just, does your brain ever hurt? <laughs> <laughs> it hurts more from meditation than from physics, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, no, it's, you know, I, I've told you and now I'm going to say it and people are going to hear it, so I'm going to have to do it. I do want to teach a workshop that I will call where yoga and physics merge. Yeah. And I have several ideas of what I want to talk about. So I, I think this, this podcast with you is kind of a, first dip in in that direction uh because again i mean back to my first point it's all the same thing we're all we are looking for the origin of or the meaning of life right and whether you choose to do it in a science way or a yoga way which we as human beings we are looking for answers to the same questions like what am i doing here why am i here who am i what happens once my body dies you know i think every human being asks themselves these questions yeah and then absolutely. You, and then you find different ways to get answers and but what i've learned from my experience is like why limit yourself to one way you know study science but then do the practice and see how it works in your own body in your own mind yeah hmm? well and so what do you think so nuclear physics is that like literally a rocket scientist 
<laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Okay. See how little I know about it. You know, my background's in, in the law and the legal field. I know nothing about science. Uh, well, you know, we each have our own things. Like when I see the way you write documents, I always admire it. So we each have our own <laughs> legal contracts and stuff. Like, oh, well, she knows what she's talking about. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Maybe. Um, yeah, yes. Well, we've talked a little bit about space and time mm -hmm. and how you know, especially in the yoga teachings, when we mm -hmm. follow this philosophy that talks about rebirth mm -hmm. and karma and the fact that we have many, many lifetimes yeah. to play out karmic laws, basically. What do you think, and then applying that sort of philosophy to the physics scientifically, what do you think about time? And is it linear? No, it's not. Um, I might even want to say that time doesn't really exist the way we we conceive it. Um, and when I, like without going into the like you know the 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 physics side of why time is not linear, um, we we don't need to have a, a lecture on physics right now. But, uh, <laughs> but just look at your own experience. Um, and whoever has ever, actually, you don't even have to think about meditation for that. But notice how sometimes you feel like the day goes by like really quickly. And other times it just it just drags on forever. The measurement of time hasn't changed. You still had 24 hours in your day, but your experience of it has changed. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you sit in meditation and you've been there like for two minutes and you feel like you've been there for an hour. It's like, okay, am I ever going to be done with that? And other times you're so deep in what you're doing that an hour goes by and you don't even realize it. So our, I don't even want to say that time is not linear, but our experience of it definitely is not. Um, the other side of it is... Um, something that I've been thinking about a lot, and I, I don't have an answer to that, but uh, maybe somebody who listens to us can get in touch if they have answers. <laughs> uh, when you think about intuition and what it really is, uh, so if you, if you think that, or if you assume that life is basically like a, like a video game where, like when you think about how a video game is programmed, like all the possible combination of options are pre-coded. And then as you play the, the game, you make a choice. So it, you eliminate a whole bunch of options. And by making that choice, you are faced now with new options, right? So if you assume that life is like that, that hmm. everything has already happened and it's there, like in a video game code. Um, so you completely lose the notion of time here. It doesn't exist anymore. It has all, it's all there. And, and as you live your life, you make choices. And it's like, you know, I am moving to Norway instead of staying in the US, for example. So you are eliminating a whole bunch of options. And now you've, you're kind of, now, okay, now I'm on this Norway branch. And what, what are the choices there? And you're going to make a choice that are going to focus you on, on a new set of options. Uh, if that makes any sense. No, it totally <laughs> makes sense. And it's, I, it's fascinating. Like I, and, I've never considered it. I mean, of course I've considered that everything's been, you know, predestined to some degree and yet we still have free will. That's what it means to be human. But 
you know, I don't play video games. So, <laughs> no, me neither, actually, so by I the way. <laughs> no, but I, I understand what you're saying, how everything's been coded at the beginning. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. That's yeah. how the game works. <laughs> yeah. And so if we start from this, this assumption, then is that how intuition works, where your future self has already made a choice and has already explored one path? And intuition is basically your future self telling you, like, yeah, go there, or like, no, don't go there. I, I mean, I don't have the answer to that, but I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, so that 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 would go that that would support the idea that time doesn't really exist, in a way. Yeah. But you know, we've all had those experiences of like having a really strong intuition about, I, I have to do that now, or. You know, or, or you know, like you're walking on the street and suddenly it's like, I'm going to meet that person when I turn the corner and there they are, you know, that kind of stuff. Or uh, it happened to me recently when I was looking for a new, new place to leave a house and I, and I came to see this house and like I hadn't even really seen anything yet. And I knew right away, like this is where I'm going to live. So how much of that is, you know, your future self who has made that choice already? who has explored one line of, you know, uh, options in that video game that tells you yes or no. How much of it, though, is, uh, like, I, I firmly believe that our thoughts create things, uh, that, that we create our own reality. So is intuition then your future self, you know, telling you, or... Is intuition just the realization, the manifestation of you've had that thought and you're creating it? And so it feels right and it feels like you know it because, well, it comes from your own thought. I don't have the answer to that. I'm still yeah, to well, and here's here's another little thing to consider as well. I'm, I'm 100% with you and I think it's so interesting to consider. But a lot of times, too, we think about this idea of deja vu. Yeah. Where that is an impression of a memory, a past experience. Yeah. So if we have this deja vu, which also sometimes plays into intuition too, like if you're having deja vu about an experience and then your intuition is telling you to act a certain way based on that deja vu, is that now your present self, <laughs> or I'm sorry, your future self and your past self informing the present moment? I don't know. Yeah. I, I would like to believe that. <laughs> but then it, it's, again, another support that time's not linear. And in fact, there could even be possibly several yeah. things playing out at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, uh, you know, I want to be careful the way I phrase that, because when we start talking about parallel universes, people get a little, like, crazy about it. <laughs> But but no, but if you if you go back to the assumption that life is like a video game, then by the, by the way, this is not my own ideas. This is all I've read that in um, fantastic books by Neil Donald Walsh, Conversations with God, and that's the way he explains the whole thing. And I find I find it so I don't know, it talks to me, it makes sense for me. That's why I use it often. Oh great. Well we'll put that in the show notes then. Yeah, I can uh, send you a the exact reference but so he, he, that's where I learned this idea of you know it's already all there and we make choices so in this moment I'm making this choice but you know who says that a future self or past self hasn't made another choice and is somewhere else and that's why you get those intuitive messages because 
at some point you made another choice and you know it's telling you like yes or no uh i don't know but my my question really right now is is you know is intuition really your future self telling you do that or don't do that or is it your own creation because because you've had that thought and and everything is energy. Once you have a thought, it doesn't j just disappear. It has put something, it has put some vibrations out there. So it has to manifest in some ways at some point. So I don't know what is what. Yeah, but, well, I think that's the point, though. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> we're not supposed to know yet. And when we get further along the path and through rigorous practices of meditation, then maybe the answers will start to reveal themselves. Let's hope. <laughs> you know, but the good news is too, we have to remind ourselves we're householders. We're, yes. we're not meant to be, you know, locked in, in an ashram or a cave meditating 12 hours a day for our entire lives. We're meant to move in and out of the practice and, you know, live our life, have families and jobs and participate in society and hopefully develop a spiritual practice that is sustainable. Yeah. You know, that's it. That's all. And spiritual practice, I think so many people, they, they hear the word spiritual and they're like, ah, pump the yeah, brakes. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. realizing that actually all that means is that we're in connection with spirit. Mm -hmm. So whatever that means to an individual and what their idea of spirit is, cosmic consciousness, God, goddess, um, you know, I always like to think about dogs. Yeah. And the spark Do you of the, I, I know, big shocker. <laughs> you know, but we talk about that idea of Atman, the soul or the self with the big S. And it's the Atman that is really on this journey. And mm -hmm. whatever incarnation we're in, in this meat suit, is temporary. Yeah. And so if we recognize, you know, Ram Das, my very favorite definition of Atman, uh, he says that Atman is the spark of the divine. So within beautiful. all beings. Yes, yeah. it's so beautiful. And, you know, when we look at a dog or a cat and they're mm -hmm. just out living their life, yeah. doing what they want to do, they're fully in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And I think they're that's a lot more spiritual than we are often, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They're not getting caught up in the drama, which mm -hmm. again, though, too, we can see everything as a lesson, everything as a reflection. So if mm -hmm. we are getting caught up in, in petty drama, uh, there's something for us to look at there, too. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Um, well, there's one more thing I wanted to say about the time not being linear. Yeah. Um, when, um, you know, there are many healing techniques uh, out there in the world, uh, and many of them help you, he what they call heal your inner child. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I've had that experience just about a month ago, actually. That's why it's very fresh in my mind. Um, but if you are able to heal your inner child, so heal ones that were created when you were three or four or five, and that that in the, in this present moment, you know, as yourself now in, in 2018, you feel a difference in your life because you have done that healing of your inner child, then you are actually healing, you know, something that happened 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. But you feel the effect now. And to me, that's kind of, that, that supports the idea that time is not linear. If you can affect something that has happened in the past already, and you feel the effect now, 
So I don't know, maybe people who know more about psychology or psychiatry have a different way to explain that. Yeah, well, I think it also comes back to this idea that as humans, we're so limiting in our belief system Mm -hmm. and the reality of what our little tiny brain can actually comprehend and understand. It's a small amount of information. And, you know, when we talk about this in context of of the spiritual practice and the philosophies of yoga or even the existence of God, Mm -hmm. and so many people are like, oh, well, I don't believe that or, oh, that's impossible. That's no there's no way that could be true. Yeah. And when somebody makes a, a statement like that, that's so black or white, that's so yes or no, my very first thought is, oh my God, such ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, no I think it's, yeah. yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but in <English>. uh, <laughs> The yeah, ignorance no, of I everything. I completely agree. The first cliche, yeah. But, um, but how much of it is ignorance and how much of it is convenient? Back to what we were saying earlier, that it's easier in a way to have limited beliefs or to not question your beliefs. Yeah. It's, it's much easier, you know, and our beliefs are often taught to us by, yes. you know, our parents, our caretakers, the world we grew up in, our, the society we grew up in. That's where we get our beliefs from. And the practice of yoga to me is, a, is an open invitation to question every single of our beliefs and then create or keep those that that make sense to us, reject those that don't serve us, but also be willing to create new beliefs based on what we experience, on what we learn, on what we know. And But again, it's, you know, it's hard work. Yeah. And it is this hard work. Is, yeah, it is easier to stay in that confined box of like, well, this is how it is, and I'm not going to question any of it because the answers are not always convenient. Yes. Or sometimes there are no answers, and human beings don't like uncertainty. They don't like not knowing. And the best way to not be confronted with that is to not ask, ask questions. Then you don't know that you don't know. Yes. It's more comfortable. Yes. Well, and, you know, thinking about time not being linear, possibility of parallel universes, the, the concept of rebirth, mm-hmm. um, the, the rebirth of the soul. Um, yeah. How do we know that it's not possible? You know, there's no way to definitively say, no, it's impossible. And for me, this always comes back to, to the idea of like maintaining that beginner's mindset, mm-hmm. keeping yourself open to possibility and understanding that we know so little. Yeah. And the only way that we can keep ourselves sane when we understand that we know so little is to just stay open. Like, oh, okay. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, we, 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 we can't know what we don't know yet. And when you think about, and, and not knowing something or not knowing whether it's possible doesn't mean it's not. Just think about, you know, not so long ago, people thought the earth was flat. Yeah. Because they didn't know how to measure it. Yeah. They didn't know how, like, you know, or so many things in science that we couldn't even comprehend because nobody asked the question or we didn't know how to measure something or we didn't have the, or we haven't, hadn't invented yet the right equipment to measure things. And to me, it's, 
you know, when we start talking a little bit more maybe about consciousness, and I know they are trying to, to build devices that can measure consciousness so that, for example, when somebody is in a, in a coma, that they would be able to measure whether they are, there is still some consciousness or not. Uh, and very often, I think we are confronted with our own limitations, that we don't have the instruments to measure something, but it doesn't mean that that something doesn't exist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it, really quickly, too, mm-hmm. um, before we start wrapping up, there's also, there's a really cool organization called HeartMath. Have you ever heard of them? No, I haven't. Well, they do this thing where they measure the vibrations from the heart and the emotion of love. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and they've been able to measure it like, you know, city from one person, city blocks, mm-hmm. the, the energy that's radiating from that one individual at that frequency. That's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay, I have to look that up. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. And yeah. so again, it's just keeping ourselves open to possibility. And just because we can't see something with our naked eyeball doesn't mean it's not in existence. Yeah. And no, the, the thing also is we have to, to trust our feeling, the way we feel a little more, um, rather than just wanting always, you know, very concrete proofs of things. Just think about the people that you meet for the first time, and very often you have a quick reaction, like you kind of want to get closer, or you're like, I don't want to have anything to do with that person. Yeah. And I, and I you know, fully believe that there is an energetic field that is radiating from us, and, and then that field starts interacting with somebody else's field. And either it's good interaction or it's not. Uh, that's like gut feelings, the same thing. It's it's all energy and we're sensitive to that. We don't necessarily need like an external instrument to measure something. We need to get back inside through the practice of yoga to trust our own measurements of what's happening around us. Ah, oh, so good. So good. Yes, that's so that's exactly right. That's the practice. You know, and it's all that we've been talking about. First of all, having the courage to do the work. Second of all, strengthening and trusting your relationship with yourself. Mm -hmm. So that then when you have those intuitions or reading the energy around you, you trust the information you're getting. Yeah, because it's real. It's there. It is real. It's totally there. and it's. But you have to believe it. Like if you are, you know... To tie up everything we've, we've talked about, like if you if you live in that box of set beliefs and that trusting your intuition is not something you believe in, then it won't happen. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the practice meets us where we are. So yeah. again, coming back to the beginning of the conversation about <laughs> Instagram <laughs> yogis and handstands and yeah, yeah um, you know, this is in support of your argument that okay, well, isn't that great, though, if there's more people coming to yoga in general, even mm-hmm. if they're coming in through the asana, you know, the argument would be, well, yes, the practice meets you where you are. And if that's where somebody's at, then that's where the practice is going to arrive. Yeah. You know, and hopefully they will dive deeper and, and more answers mm-hmm. will unfold and, and they'll become more rooted in the practice mm-hmm. for the good of all people. Yeah. Not just for themselves, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. more people doing yoga and, and practicing yoga, not asana, but yoga, Yeah, means that the only possible outcome is something positive. Yeah, I, I hope so. But I think what you just said is kind of a, a, the key also, that practicing asana without everything else is not really yoga. Yeah. 
And yeah, you might start with the asana, but you have to be open, I believe, to to the philosophy that supports it, to to all the beautiful teachings that because you know if you just do a downward facing dog, well, you're doing a downward facing dog. <laughs> <laughs> you're just putting your body in that in that place, but it's and that's maybe where in the modern world things get a little bit confused that people who do just asana think they are doing yoga. But it's so much more than that. Yeah. I think you can practice yoga without doing any asana at all, ever. Yeah. So, and yeah. I know. Well, we could we could talk forever. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and we do. And that's, you know, that's what teacher training's for. We get to have these conversations all day. Yes. This is awesome. <laughs> I know. I know. It is great. Um, yeah. Well, before we say adios, or what do you say in yeah. French? Uh, au revoir, I au suppose. Revoir. <laughs> <laughs> or ha de bras. Um, yes. You know, this, this podcast, One Sacred Pause, is all about, you know, the inquiry and what happens when we activate intention in any present given moment. And in that present moment is the opportunity to change course and, and have radical shifts occur in our life and transformations. And the question that really sums this all up is, and this is the question I'm asking you, who or what would you be if you could get still enough and quiet enough to listen to the wisdom within? Wow, that's the question, yes. I know, it is the question. <laughs> Just to finish on a light note, <laughs> um, I think I would, I would practice everything we've been talking about a lot more. I would trust my intuition more. I would, um, I would be more clear on what is true for me and what is not. I think I would be a more uh, trusting person, not not trusting the outside world, but trusting myself more. Mm. Mm, um, I love that. And I would probably be able to to practice some of my beliefs a little more, like when I was talking about thoughts become things. I think if I, if there were not so many confusing thoughts going through my mind all the time, I would be able to manifest things better because then you can focus your, your thoughts. You can be a lot more deliberate in, in the energy you put out there. So hopefully, you know, hopefully I will be a better person. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. so good. Well, Anne, thank you so much. I appreciate you spending time with me and sharing your insights and your wisdom. Uh, it's so fascinating and so interesting to chat with you. Well, thank you, Jessica, for, for creating this, this opportunity and for always inspiring us to, to ask more questions, to look deeper and, and investigate self-inquiry. That's your world, huh? Yeah, yeah. The, the radical uh, self-inquiry, that is what I'm yeah. all about. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do more of that. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, have a great rest of your day. Thank you, you too. And thank you so much for this opportunity. <laughs>